maybe just to wrestle with for a moment, um, perhaps a straightforward question for a congregation like ours. What is a sermon? Or what is preaching? What's a sermon? What's preaching? How would we go about answering that? Hopefully we understand in the congregation that preaching is not just the thoughts of a, a bloke about uh, the Bible. Like we hope, uh, I, I, sorry, I hope that we realize that it's not preaching uh, just a talk that's given by a guy who's been able to grab a few minutes here and there during the week to, to look at a portion of scripture. We realize that, do we? That's not a sermon. That is not preaching. No, in line with centuries of reformed thought, what do we believe? We believe that if a scripture is handled faithfully, explained and expounded faithfully, we believe that a sermon takes on a life of its own, do we? We believe that. We believe that if it is accurate to biblical truth, that a sermon becomes the very voice of the Almighty God. God speaks through his preaching. That is what Reformed churches have believed for generations. That is hopefully what we believe tonight. Is it? Do we believe that? Do we believe in preaching as a congregation? I beg you uh, to hold on to that tonight. Uh, because this evening, as we hear God address the first woman, what we come to, I think, is potentially explosive uh, material, uh, especially in, in this age and this culture that we live in just now in the United Kingdom, where gender roles and the battle of the sexes is something that is right there, isn't it? It's, a, it's discussed on a daily basis, men versus women, battle of the sexes, especially in this uh, environment. This stuff tonight, maybe not just textually difficult, it's maybe fair to say that it's truly contentious for us to consider these matters in 21st century London. Will you remember that Genesis chapter 3.16 is not written just by a bloke somewhere ages ago? Will you keep at the forefront of your mind through the sermon? This has been penned by God. Genesis 3.16 is God's work. And there are uh, three titles, headings, that we're going to uh, to look at this evening, God willing. The first is this. We're going to consider the woman's pain. The woman's pain. Um, what, I've given it the big build-up. So what, what are you expecting um, from this sermon this evening? Friends, are you expecting a lot of talk about uh, the, the roles of a woman and the relationship that woman has with a man and words like submission being kicked about? Is that what we're expecting? Well, maybe... Maybe, you know, maybe we'll get there. But before we do, there's a often overlooked detail that I want us to think about, first of all. Because we know, don't we, what society says about the Bible and its view of women. Like, I think your friends, my friends, the society, the culture, the media, they make it pretty clear, don't they? What do they say? They say, God, for God in the Bible, women's an afterthought. You know, women are not important to God from the Bible. We hear this, don't we all? The Bible is responsible for generations of oppression 
Uh, for women, we hear this, do we not? Well, okay. I ask you, what is the most elementary thing that I could say about Genesis chapter 3, verse 16? What is it that happens in Genesis 3, 16? God addresses the woman. And isn't that often overlooked? Because if woman was merely the possession of Adam, if woman was inconsequential to God, what would God do? I tell you, God would not go and speak to woman. God would deal with Adam, wouldn't he? If woman was not important, woman would be dealt with through Adam. But actually, what do you find in Genesis chapter 3? That God goes to woman. In fact, God goes to Eve before her going to Adam. You see, it is not that woman is inconsequential. It's not just that woman is a possession of man, an insignificance, not a bit of it. To our God, woman is cherished. Woman is important. God speaks, in verse 16, to the woman. But what does our God say to woman in verse 16? I'm pretty sure you picked up on it. I didn't want a long reading for the second reading so that we would really focus on verse 16. Maybe you can see, can you, that there is, it almost folds into two halves, verse 16, doesn't it? There's kind of uh, two sides to it. We're just going to deal with the first side in this point here. And so what is it that God says? Look at it. Look at the beginning of it. What does God say? He says to this woman that because of sin, because of her, that God, this woman will experience, women will experience pain in childbirth, excruciating pain. There's The pain is emphasized here that you see there's two lines about the pain, real pain, comprehensive pain in childbirth. I want to point out two details about this pain in childbirth here, about this punishment. The first is the extent of this punishment. And I think if we're going to think about the depths of the punishment that God meets out here, what you've got to do is take a little step back from this. Can we do that together? Like we're in 16, we're in verse 16. Like take a step back. I'm pretty confident that all of us in here know the first three chapters of Genesis quite well. Boys, I'm sure, and the girls, even we can, we know the first three chapters of Genesis quite well. Now, because I'm confident there, I can ask you this. What roles was woman created to fulfill in Genesis? Now, if I was to put you on the spot and ask you really to think about that and give me an answer, what roles was woman created to fulfill in the early chapters of Genesis? Come on, what would you think about? There's maybe a couple of places you would go. Would you say this, that woman was created by God as a helper? Man, what's the King James? Some of you have got the King James in front of you. That's that famous phrase in the King James Version, isn't there? Uh, the woman is the help meet of man. Woman is a helper, right? So there's one. Okay, there's one role, one function for woman. Come on, what else would we go for? What else would we say? Why was woman created by... Part of it, is it not, was to assist man in filling the earth. Isn't that right? You know, man is to have dominion and, 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 and bear fruit. Woman created to bear, to have kids. 
Fill the earth with man. So what have we got? We've got two things. We've got this helper, created as a helper, created to, to have children. And now, verse 16. And now you think about the punishments here. And do you recognize what sin has done? Sin has corrupted both, both fundamental functions of womanhood. Isn't that right? In a minute or two, we're going to see this idea of helper having been radically corrupted. Now God is going to say, man is going to rule over you, rule over you. That idea of helper is going to be tarnished. But what's this here? Pain in childbirth. Like we're even seeing the second primary function of womanhood affected, scarred by sin. But maybe this, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, actually, Andy, it's not that bad. Maybe some of the gentlemen are thinking that this evening. Maybe you think back to the catastrophic curse on the serpent. And maybe you think forward to the catastrophic punishment for mankind. And maybe you're looking at this and you think of pain and childbirth. Pain in childbirth, it is, it is, it's nice, you know, okay, a, a day of pain, a couple of days, but it's, it's, no, don't you see it? Don't you see it now? The very core of femininity has been marred by sin. That's what's happened here. What's happened with the fall is that the very heart, the crux of what it means to be a woman has been affected by sin. This is, this is deep. This is catastrophic for womanhood. And then, if we see the extent of the punishment, then we've also got to notice, believe it or not, we've got to notice the grace, God's goodness in this punishment as well. Um, years ago, I made a mistake that I've lived to regret ever since. Uh, so I was a teenager, um, late teens, 18, 19 years old, living in a flat of of blokes in Edinburgh, and I, uh, um, I, I got in an argument with one of my flatmates, you know, impulsive youth, I guess, could put it down to something like that, and uh, I, I, you know, we didn't want to, uh, didn't want to get too angry, so what I did, I was, I, was, I was kind of furious, so I decided to walk away from the argument in the, in the flat, we're in the living room, and I, I stormed through uh, to my room, in uh, the flat, and I opened the bedroom door. I was so angry. Can't remember what it was about, but I was furious. And then out the corner of my eye, I got the glint of metal. There was a barbell on the ground, you know, for lifting weights. I was sitting there, and I, yeah, maybe you can see where this is going. I'm so angry. And I opened that door, and I kicked that uh, barbell as hard as I could. And to this day, I've been left with a little indentation on my leg that reminds me of the folly of losing my temper. Every time I put on my sock, like, don't lose, (laughs) never lose your rag, never lose your, your temper, never do it. Now, where do you think I am going with this? Do you think that your minister is going to compare that pain to the pain of childbirth? Because I assure you, I am not going to do that. No. I want you to see what God has done. What has God done in the pain of childbirth? 
He has provided a perpetual reminder of the fall. Now today in the world, there are hundreds of thousands of children, babies to be born. Now what is going to happen? Every single incident, for every single mother in the accompanying pain... There is a reminder by the grace of God of Genesis 3.16 of sin and of the fall. A reminder. But I want to deal with the objection you've got in your mind just now. Because maybe you see back to me. But for most of the women in this world, when they have that pain, they're not thinking of Genesis 3.16. Right now, I want to take your objection and I want to hand it to the mother's in the room because mums is this not true that the pain of childbirth is perhaps one of the most unnatural events in your entire life the pain of childbirth I mean come on you're having a baby I mean it's the most joyous thing that can happen to us isn't it And it's been this product of intimacy and love. And isn't it this time of, I mean, everyone, all the mums here, you know it's a time of real excitement, isn't it? It's a time of anticipation. A new life is coming into the world. And how should it be? We know in our heart of hearts, don't we? How it should be. It should be peaceful. And it should be joyous. And it should be wonderful. And what happens? Pain. I mean, indescribable pain, I'm sure, excruciating pain. Do you see what God has done here for humanity? Do you? He's given a message in the pain that accompanies childbirth. He's pointed humanity to truth. He's saying in that pain, life is not as it should be. There is a problem, a problem that has to be addressed. And it's one elderly old Puritan, probably with a big long beard, Who nails it. And he says this. The pain of childbirth was not a curse to bring woman to ruin. The pain of childbirth was a chastisement to wake woman. And to wake woman to her need of repentance. Isn't that it? Even in the pain of childbirth... We see the magnificent grace of the Almighty God. God wants women at that point to feel the weight of sin, the weight of the curse, and to see her need of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the woman's pain. Second thing. Second thing. The woman's desire. The woman's desire. The woman's pain, the woman's desire. Okay, we've perhaps heard, we should have heard, I think, uh, the theological term perspicuity. And there's been a couple of sermons in the last probably two years where we have dealt with this idea of perspicuity. So perspicuity is the theological notion that all of the Bible is understandable uh, by 
everyone, in a sense. You know, you don't have to be an academic. You don't have to be high-flying to understand the nature of Scripture. That is perspicuity. You know, the clarity of Scripture. Perspicuity says something else. Perspicuity also says that though all of the Bible can be readily understood, perspicuity says there are some parts of the Bible that are more difficult to understand than others. And, Christian friends, that's where we're at just now. Because what is it that God now says to, to women? Can you, can you look at it with me? Look in verse 16. We get to the second half. And what does God say? He says to the first woman, here's how it's going to be for womankind, if you like, the female of the species. Your desire, he says to women, your desire shall be for your husband. So we now have to work out what that means. Your desire will be for your husband. Um, Can I suggest that on the table in front of us, uh, we have two options. The first option is the idea of sexual or physical desire. Your desire, your sexual desire will be for your husband. Now, if that is the case, do you see the flow of uh, God's thought? God is saying there, despite the fact that it may lead to pain, despite the fact that it may lead to pregnancy, it may lead to the pains of child, of labor, despite that, I am still going to give you, you're still going to have a desire, physical attraction, physical sexual desire uh, for man. Now, I'll say this to you. It could be that um, I do not um, think that that's what this verse means at all, actually. Um, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll tell you why. There is only actually one other instance in the whole of the Bible where desire, this Hebrew word here, desire, where it actually means sexual desire. Only one other time in the whole of the Bible where it means that. And that time is a way off in a different genre. It's a way off in the Song of Songs. So everyone see that, that it's unlikely, isn't it, that this idea of desire here would mean sexual desire for man. So I don't think that. I think the second possibility is much more likely that what this means here is a desire for control over man. A desire for man's role. You see, there is another use of this word, this Hebrew word desire, in Scripture. I'd like to put it to you. I wonder if you can guess where it is. Do you think about the structure of our service this evening. Did you notice it? It's in Genesis chapter 4. It's the same Hebrew word desire is used just a few words later by God. And since we've read it, you know the story, don't you? Cain is fighting sin. Where's sin? Boss, you know, sin is said to be crouching at the door. 
And what is it that God says? Can I read it to you, the phrase? God says this of Cain, says to Cain, and sin's desire is for you. You see, sin is desiring to master you. Sin is desiring to control you, Satan. To control you, Cain, rather. And if you see that, surely you see what God is saying here to the woman. That part of the fall, part of the curse of sin, part of the curse of the fall is a newfound desire to rule man on behalf of the woman. A newfound desire for control that this side of the fall, woman is not just going to seek to be independent from man. What is woman to do? What is woman going to do? God is saying woman is going to seek to subvert the God-ordained role of helper. You're going to desire, a sin desires Cain, you're going to desire mastery over man. Now, um, you haven't thrown anything at me or, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, we're still going. I think because it's controversial, isn't it, that in the very nature, as part of the curse of the fall, there is this sinful desire for control in the heart of women. Perhaps because that is so controversial, we need to tie it down to practicalities. I'm going to suggest two ways that this should be applied to us in here. The first is this, that this idea in Genesis 3.16 should color your understanding of the culture just now. Um, I was reading an article, you may have read it yourselves, by a man called Giles Corrin. He is a journalist and he writes for um, a national newspaper. This uh, last week, he wrote an article um, where he talks about a conversation he had with a woman. This woman is uh, uh, the head of, I think, he was, he was trying not to be too precise, but the head of a uh, large influential media organization. So this lady is as big as you can get in media. She calls the shots in media. And Giles Corrin is recording, recalling as well, the, the conversation. During their chat, listen to this. The woman laughed out loud at the idea that she would ever commission a series where man was the focus. It's never going to happen, she says, laughing. She then goes on to say um, that most, if not all, positions in media in the future in the United Kingdom are going to go to women. She says, Chris Evans leaves Radio 2. She laughs as she sits at this meal and says, everybody in the media knows that role is going to go to a woman. Then she says, David Dimbleby is going to retire soon from question time. She laughs and, and says, a woman will be the new host. And Giles Corrin, right in this article, he uses that to point to what he sees as a society-wide attempt not to redress the balance, not for equality. He uses this to, to, to point to what he sees as an attempt, a deliberate attempt to sideline men, to push men out of the public eye. Now, I am saying to you as I stand in front of you, I don't care if you go along with Giles Corrin. I perhaps don't go along with Giles Corrin, but I would say this to you. We have to be more biblically minded about these things. 
Now, we cannot just, as a church and as Christians, go along with progressive values in our society. We cannot just carry on and accept what's happening with gender and what's happening with, with sexual warfare out there. Not at all. We perhaps tonight have to wipe the slate clean and we have to interpret these things through the likes of Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, which does point, I think, to the fact that as part of the fall, woman has a sinful desire for man. But I said I wanted to say two things in in practical application. The other one is simply to ask you in here to assess your own heart. And, of course, by that I speak largely to the women, to the ladies of London City Presbyterian Church. I want to ask you if you recognize this in your own heart. I mean, do you recognize in yourself a tendency to desire to control and unduly influence the men in your, in your life, the men in your home, to try and control or rule the men in the workplace, your friends? Perhaps especially, is there a desire, do you recognize it, a tendency to try and seek to control men even in your own church. If you see that, please see what that is. It is sin. And it's part of the curse of the fall. We see the woman's pain. We see the woman's desire. And then lastly, we see the woman's mistreatment. The woman's mistreatment. Uh, tonight, the men have sat back comfortably in church, or as comfortable as any man can be on these chairs. The men have sat back, and the focus largely has been on women this evening. As we end verse 16, the roles reverse, and it is men who come into the focus. So guys, listen What does God go on to say? So he says to women, your desire will be for your husband. Can't get away from it. It says it in the Bible. Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. What does that mean? That your husband shall rule over you. Well, the first thing I think we have to grasp is the fact that this has been distorted by many people, even in evangelical churches uh, today, that there is an incredibly common view that says uh, that what you've got here is the beginnings of submission, that what you've got here post-fall, post-sin, what you've got is the beginnings of headship in the family. Many people understanding that, being influenced by a feminist theology. They say, well, here, after the fall, before the fall, there was just, everything was in balance. After the fall, now we insert submission. Now we insert this idea that man rules over woman. And so many people will say this idea has to be shunned, the idea of headship in the home. Um, I hope you understand this evening that that is absolutely biblically nonsensical. Paul does not appeal here 
when he talks about gender roles, he appeals to creation. Man does what man names woman, which is, as we know, an act of authority in the time. Woman is created as man's helper. So it surely does not mean that here is the beginning of a headship in the home. But what does it mean? Um, Well, most of you were here last Sunday evening, weren't you? As we talked about the snake. Um, I'm just going to speak to the boys and the girls at the front just for a moment about that. Um, Can you remember, I won't won't ask you to shout it out, but can you remember what God said to the, the snake? See if we can remember it. God spoke to the serpent and he said, didn't he, that on your belly you will go and you'll eat dust. Is that right? Yeah. None of us, do we, none of you think that before that the snake had legs. No, we don't think that, do we? No, we don't. The snake always crawled on the ground. What was God doing? God was infusing an existing reality with meaning. Wasn't he? That God was infusing the fact the snake always crawled on the ground. God was infusing that at that point, his existing reality, infusing it with humility. Now, yes, you're going to carry on. You're going to carry on and slither, but that's going to be part of the curse. You will look at and be cursed. And it will, you, humility. Humiliation, rather. Well, friends, I think that is exactly what God is doing here with women tonight. That God, again with women here, is infusing an existing reality with meaning. That this previously perfect relationship she had with man before the fall now has been corrupted. That this perfect relationship where she was a helper to, to, to Adam equals but a helper, that this has been utterly tarnished by sin. Isn't that what's happening? That now, no longer would there be this beautiful equilibrium between them, but the woman, not only would longer man's role, but what else is true? Now, God is saying, yes, man now is going to lord it over you. Man will rule over you, but in harsh ways, in cruel ways. Now, what we're seeing here in Genesis 3.16 is the beginning of the mistreatment and oppression of women by man. And I want to say to uh, the men in here tonight, we cannot kid ourselves about this. And we must recognize the darkness in the heart of, 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 of man. We seek to control, we seek to lord it over women. And I want to make an appeal to the men tonight. I want to appeal to you gentlemen to really consider how seriously God treats us, how he seriously he views this. Because God in Genesis 3 in in scripture does not just say, and man will rule over you, so be it. Gentlemen, what does God say to you, especially if you are a husband in here tonight? What do we learn in Ephesians? What does he say to you in Colossians chapter 3? He says to you, love your 
wife, and then what? And do not be harsh with her. God abhors this idea that men would lord it over women. Abhors that idea. And then we end with this. Some much welcome good news. Because regardless of how you want to understand the word desire, (laughs) this has not been pleasant, has it, this evening? The pain of childbirth. Desire, whether it is sexual desire or a desire for man's role, this is, this is man's harshness towards women. This is, this is unpleasant material tonight. But what do we know as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? We know that, praise God, one day it will not be like that. And we thank God, do we not, that one day for all women who repent and believe, There is a hope. There is a heaven to come. And it is a place where there is no pain and no abuse and no mistreatment and no illicit desire. And how can that possibly be the case for us as sinful women and sinful, rotten men? Is it not all because of one promise that an angel gave about 2,000 years ago. And it was a promise about a child who was going to be born in the normal way, in incredible pain. And what did that angel say of Mary? Do you know the words? Do you remember the words? The angel declared, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And why? For he will save his people from their sins. When we see the effects on our natures of sin, don't we rejoice in the restoration that God is working through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we we, uh, pray to you acknowledging tonight Uh, that we are sinful. Lord God, we acknowledge that um, in the heart of of woman and in the heart of man, there is rottenness, and we hate hearing about it. And we long, Lord God, for these words to mean something different. Uh, But Lord God, we pray that you would give us humility, help us truly to understand the fall, that what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman has been truly corrupted by our own rebellion against you. But we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his work, his purity, for the fact that he did not have illicit desire. We thank you that he did not treat others harshly. And we thank you that he has borne our sin for doing just that. Lord God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.